Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range of Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangeley Capital, and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Demuth. It is Tuesday, February 23rd, and today we're going to talk about the two most interesting things we've seen in the market in the past week. Uh, first, we're going to start by kicking off with a hypothetical merger that would probably be about the biggest deal merger deal in history, and then we're going to switch over to a REIT with a 12% dividend yield. Uh, so Chris, why don't you kick us off? What is the hypothetical mega, mega merger? Google buying AIG. I can't give you a precise dollar value on the deal because I don't know what the premium is going to be. Um, but I can tell you, uh, regardless, it's a big deal. Uh, it would ca- be a big deal. Caveat, this is hypothetical. Uh, and spoiler alert, it's not going to happen. Okay, so <laughs> it's absolutely not going to happen. I would put it close to as as close to a 0% chance of happening as there is. But where where is this coming from? Who is thinking that Google should buy AIG? Uh, one of the things that I don't uh, uh, admire about the sell side, they always have to say something. Yep. We can, if we don't have something to say, we can just not say something. The sell side always has to publish, and the Citigroup analyst that covers uh, uh, this uh, uh, put out, a, in fairness, a hypothetical case. Yep. So the Citigroup analyst who cover Citigroup is obviously a big bank. They mm-hmm. have sell side analysts who cover stocks. They're uh, insurance analysts put out a big pre- uh, about a 17-page document that said. Google should team up with an investment bank and buy AIG. And what's kind of the underlying thesis there? Well, AIG is, I wouldn't say in trouble, but they're under a lot of pressure. They have to deal with heightened government scrutiny. They have to deal with activist pressure from Carl Icahn and John Paulson. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they're kind of looking for some solution. Uh, Google has a big pile of money, so maybe they're that solution. So I think part of the Citigroup uh, thing is... Hey, AIG t- trades for 0.7x book value. They yes. trade for a discount to kind of what their assets would hypothetically be worth in a liquidation. Google, you've got tons of cash. Why don't you buy AIG on the cheap? And then uh, you'll make money and you can try to revolutionize the insurance industry. Uh, it, it, that is the idea. Um, I think that there is almost everything wrong with it ultimately in terms of it <laughs> specifically happening. Uh, the bigness is a problem. This would take uh, the vast majority, if not all, of Google's uh, available cash. Uh, it would require a almost endless regulatory process to get through every state uh, uh, insurance approval, some of which would not grant it. Um, and uh, it's probably just not what uh, Google wants to do uh, with their uh, corporate life. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. One of the things the city analyst says is Google loves to take moonshots. Mm-hmm. Well, here's their moonshot that you could revolutionize the insurance industry through. I don't know if spending kind of, you know, 70, 80, 100 billion dollars is exactly the equivalent of a moonshot. You know, a moonshot's kind of start doing a small research and development program that t- turns into an automated driving car or something. Mm-hmm. It's not really here. I think that's about it. Yeah. Uh, good on Google AIG? That's what that that's the story. Quick discussion, but I guess that's what happens when it's something that you assign a 0% chance of happening. We 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 assigned a higher percentage of the Rangely podcast to it than the probability that it happens <laughs> relative to other comers today. Okay, so uh we're going to go to the REIT with the 12% dividend yield, mm-hmm. but before we go there, just a quick request for our listeners, if you like this podcast, 
please be sure to follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, if you already follow us, please be sure to rate us. It really means a lot to us, and we read every one. And if you've already rated us, we'd appreciate it if you recommend us to a friend. Uh, so, Chris, why don't I turn over to the REIT with the 12% yield? Tell us about it. Okay, great. So the REIT I'm talking about is uh, Core, Core Energy. The ticker is C-O-R-R. And they own a bunch of infrastructure assets for energy production. Uh, we've mentioned one before, think Kinder Morgan. Mm-hmm. In Core's case, it's mainly uh, undersea pipeline for offshore oil production in the Gulf of Mexico and natural ga- gas pipelines. And it's kind of interesting because the stock has been absolutely hammered over the past year. Uh, if you invested a year ago, you've lost about 55% of your money, even after their large dividend yield. Uh, but it does return a lot of capital to shareholders. Today, it trades for a 12% dividend yield, and they're also buying back stock. So they're really returning back a lot of cash to their shareholders. Uh, the, only, the other piece of the thing that's interesting is they have a set of preferreds outstanding that have a 11% dividend yield and trade for about 65% of par. So that's a big discount, a very distressed asset. But it's interesting because preferreds are higher in the capital structure than common, a little safer than the common. Uh Go ahead. I was just going to say, when you have highly distressed industries like energy now, I think on one hand, it makes sense to look higher and higher in the capital structure in terms of the risk reward, where there are going to be a lot of balance sheet solutions. However, as an investor, you always need a comparative advantage over the marketplace. Yep. The need for information becomes higher and higher as you go to uh, higher in the uh, in the capital structure where the standard is really really good for knowing what it is you own being able to control the process uh, and so this uh, buyer beware always but especially here uh, there's interesting opportunities in uh, preferreds and in distressed debt but boy you really need to be the one uh, with the advantage on information in distressed debt you need to really be an expert in understanding the legal contracts what does your debt have uh, security over what does it not have security over when can you put the company in bankruptcy and i think you and i just about twice a week we come in and we're like "Ooh, energy's down a lot maybe you should look at it and then we look for a couple seconds we're like oh nope we don't really have any comparative advantage here we should probably go somewhere else yeah uh but anyway Core is interesting because unlike most pipeline companies, we've talked about Kinder Morgan and MLP before, this was the first energy-focused REIT. And Chris, why don't you take why the kind of advantages of being a REIT over an MLP? Both uh, tax-advantaged, both pass on to the underlying investor, Mm -hmm. Uh, the MLP... Uh, note if you buy one, especially if you haven't done this before, generates a K1. So mm-hmm. you are a unit holder, a partner, uh, unlike a REIT that has uh, passed through earnings but has normal tax for the underlying investor. So just to click, at the corporate level, mm-hmm. they don't pay any, they pay very minimal or no corporate taxes. They Similar. pass earnings on to their shareholders. But on an MLP, you actually have to pay a K-1 and you'll have to pay individual state-level taxes for your investment. And so you just need to be careful yep. that you, if you walk into blindly uh, spending uh, money, uh, buying an investment, and then all of a sudden you're a taxpayer in 25 states, you just want to know <laughs> that ahead of time. Your $100 investment has you paying $0.10 cents to the great state of Illinois. Right. Your, your, your uh, accountant almost certainly advocates this investment. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, they're energy-focused REIT, and uh, 
these assets, we've talked about a little bit with Kinder Morgan, but these assets, basically, you put a pipeline in place, and then an oil company comes and runs oil through your pipeline, and they'll pay you a fixed amount in return for the right to put, to put oil through that pipeline. So this is a great kind of cash flow business. Once you've put it in place, the only way the oil company can get oil from their well to the market is to run it through your pipeline. You get great visibility into what you're going to make. And there's very little capital expenditure once you put up that actual pipeline. Uh, so they've uh, they've done they've been great for kind of dividend investors in mm-hmm. the past. Well, there is downside. It turns out if all of your cut cu- there all of your customers have fixed payments, but if they're all going bankrupt, those fixed payments might go away. And in Core's in Core's case, they have two major assets. There's the Pinedale assets, which are about thirty percent of their assets. And the Grand Isle Gathering assets, which are about 37% of their assets. Uh, the Grand Isle Gathering assets are leased to Energy 21, who just last week skipped an interest payment, which is a prelude to bankruptcy. And those assets represent 37% of their assets. Pinedale, 30% of their assets, is leased to Ultra, Ultra Petroleum. And they just hired legal advisors and restructuring advisors. And they're about to go into, they're almost certainly about to go into bankruptcy too. So the major question kind of becomes, uh, what happens to these leases and to these guaranteed payments as your customers go in bankruptcy? And the answer is kind of, we don't know. Uh, they're critical to their customers, but are their customers even going to operate? Are their assets even kind of operatable at this low of oil and energy prices? Or are they going to reject them? Are they going to play a game of chicken where they say, hey, core, we want to operate these, but you need to cut the payments that we've been paying you in half or else we're going to mothball them. Uh, and then I also wanted to point out that Core, in Core's case, they have an external management team and that can create some pretty poor incentives. And Chris, why don't you kind of jump on that? Sure. Uh, external management teams are more common in REITs than other industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you can picture the uh, cliche of going down with a the ship, these guys aren't even in the ship to begin with. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, you, you, it, it's a poor uh, history of alignment. Uh, they are typically well defended. Uh, my personal history and the history generally of going after these guys is fairly fraught. It tends to be time uh, intensive and expensive. Uh, they are frequently Maryland corps, not Delaware corps. So if you're used to Delaware corporate law, you're dealing with a yep. very management friendly slash shareholder unfriendly uh, a process you have to go through uh, statutes, articles, bylaws are the where you look for your rights, and in this case, you will find you have less than you might have hoped for. So, just to back up a little bit, an external management team means the company itself is just a collection of assets, and they don't actually have a management team. Instead, they go to a another company and say, "Hey, we will pay you a fee to manage our assets," and in this case, they pay their external managers. of assets and 10% of profits over a certain level. And this is horrible in terms of uh, management incentives versus shareholders incentives because managers are just incented grow assets like crazy Mm -hmm. so that we can increase that fee base. If shareholders do well or shareholders do poorly, it kind of doesn't matter. The the cases I've seen um, in this are just egregious where somebody will have this mammoth space and uh, leaseholders will come in and say, hey, uh, 
you've spent $50 million on this. Would you spend 15000 just to put some dividers in? And they will not put – sometimes they will, in certain cases, over-invest, usually in buying assets. Yep. And in other cases, they'll massively under-invest in terms of doing things that are economically desirable to the investors that don't increase the asset base that increases their comp. And if you're paid 10% of distributions over a certain level, then you're incented to pay distributions even if it's not kind of in your best interest. Maybe it's in your best interest to – Pay down debt, sell off assets. You don't really want to do that. There are two other little things I would just mention about core that I think this is a great example mm-hmm. of. Is one, when you think about risk and what risk means, if you think about risk as safety, risk is uh, the risk of overpaying. Risk is how much downside you have and the potential of permanent impairment of capital. Uh, this would have looked risky the whole time. Mm-hmm. If you think that risk is simply of is 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 what you is is avoiding. Uh, uh, the appearance of, of volatility, yep, that you're yep. safe when it has the appearance of stability, this would have looked really safe. People yep. probably use the word safe on something that was nothing of the sort. And uh, another point I would just say is that you have a view of your relationships with other companies, with your customers, uh, that has historically been based on cooperation. But you will start to find a very dark aspect of human nature, which is that cooperation is simply the shadow of the future. When you have a future together, you have cooperation. As that cooperation uh, is is struck, uh, in this case, with a shadow of the future that is approaching zero, cooperative behavior will go to zero too. And so you have these contracts and you think you know things about the person on the other side of that contract that is about to no longer be true. No, I, I think those are all great points, specifically on the illusion of safety. In course case, I think a lot of investors pointed out, hey, they've got these, they've got these assets they're required for the other side to operate to operate their business. They've got these contracts that say they have to be paid this level, and they pay out all the cash to me in the form of dividends. So what's the risk, right? Like I'm buying at a 6% yield. That's As long as I can stomach a little volatility, I'm going to get a 6% return. And the answer is, oh, well, the managers might kind of dilute you like crazy while they're buying lots of assets at inflated prices, or all of your customers might go bankrupt, and then that yield you thought protected you actually goes to zero. Last point on the, uh, just a little bit back to the external management. The only other thing I wanted to mention is you mentioned a lot of times they're incorporated in management, very manager friendly. In this case, just in May, when this company, their stock price was already trailing down uh, quite a bit, they readjusted their management contract on very shareholder unfriendly terms to me. Uh, You can no longer kick out the manager for poor performance. And if you ever want to terminate them, you have to pay them three times the annual value of what their management fee is. So if you think about 1% of assets plus 10% of distributions, 3x, that's a lot of the firm's value that will go to the managers, not shareholders. Uh, So I kind of don't like talking about stocks that we don't really have a position in. This is just one that I thought was very interesting in. I was very interested in. I thought we might be able to take a position, but kind of ended up on the past table, but I thought it was worth mentioning. Anything else before we sign off here, Chris? I have nothing to add. He has nothing to add. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for taking the time to listen to us. We will be back with another podcast tomorrow. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate us, share us. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.